1: from the athletic you have heard him uh, recently certainly doing a great job on the midday show along with jimmy cook from the athletic james boyd is with us hey james thanks for joining us how are you
2: i'm doing good it feels a little weird being on the other end after being on the other end <laughs> the last few days but uh excited obviously for the season and excited to get a little break here before training camp starts up
1: i bet now do you go someplace now or are you still going to be working
2: I'm going to chill out. I feel like because of my job, the way it's been the last few years, I'm always moving and going everywhere. So I look forward to not packing at all and just hanging out in Indy and actually seeing the city I live in.
1: Now, before we get started, I I see you asking this, and I don't think I've ever answered you on this, but do you find pickup games out there that you've been looking for, basketball-wise?
2: I have, yeah. I got people who text me every now and then to go on a couple runs. Um, you know, get a chance to play at the YMCA downtown all the time. Yep. So, if you know me, any other good ones, I mean, hit me up. I'm ready to play anybody pretty much as long as you – know that we're uh regular people and we have jobs to get to the next day i don't know well, all the hard fouls and stuff like that i don't i don't <laughs> play
1: i don't play with people that want to pick me up at the hash mark nor do i play with people that want to go at it like it's you know game five of the nba finals the other night so there we go. yeah but a lot of a lot of canvassing of the south side a lot of southport high school stuff a lot of center grove high school stuff so Uh, It can happen. Good group of dudes most of the time. Guys I've known forever, though. But you're right. I mean, occasionally you can get into that. You want no part of it. How is it at the Y? Does everybody keep it between the lines here downtown at the Y?
2: It's pretty good in the morning because it's grown men most of the time. You know, you have jobs to get you the rest of the day, so you don't want to go into your job with a limp. So everyone kind of has an unwritten rule of, you know, playing defense but not really going too hard. Now, in the evening, you might be up there with a bunch of high schoolers and people who are still trying to live out their hoop dreams from way back when, so sometimes it gets a little chippy, and I just have to shoot more jump shots and make business decisions that
1: way. <laughs> I'm a, I've been making business decisions since, like, 1989, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Hey, James, why did the Colts feel compelled to cut the mandatory mini camp a day short?
2: I just think that they had enough, you know, in there, and I do think that they'll get plenty of, of reps, especially having two joint practices as opposed to one like they've had in the past, this upcoming training camp. So it made sense. You could tell the divisor pretty good when they ended it. Um, would you have liked to end it on a better offensive showing? Perhaps the offense really struggled the last few days. But to me, that was to be expected considering um, how many guys were out and things like that. And also just knowing how the injuries have piled up, at least since I've been um, you know, tracking it, it kind of makes sense to just get out of there and a day early, avoid any further injury, and then hopefully have everyone healthy to go. Outside of a few others, you know, most recently Daniel Scott with the torn ACL, I was able to confirm independently. Um, other than that, you want to get out healthy and just hope that obviously your main guys, the guys, you know, who are you investing your franchise in, one being Anthony Richardson, stay healthy, and you get into training camp and go hit the ground running.
1: Did the, uh, the Daniel Scott injury have any leverage as to why they? they decided to go and err on the side of caution and cut it a day short? Or were they going to do that anyway?
2: I believe they probably were going to do that anyways. Um, you know, but I don't think that it is a bad thing to end the day early and avoid anything that you, you know, might see pop up, just a fluke type of thing. And obviously you feel for Daniel Scott because he was someone who was going to get an opportunity throughout right. his rookie season to be sort of that depth piece, special teams guy. But, you know, sometimes those are the breaks. And it seems like it happens Every year, not only for the Colts but just around the league, there's always um, one of those sad stories where a guy is, you know, um, ready to go, and then you get, you know, one weird step or whatever the case may be, and your season's over.
1: So, James Boyd, who covers the Colts for the Athletic, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, have you heard anything? Have they been talking about besides what they currently have residing on their roster? how they plan or if they're going to a plan. I'm assuming you have to at some point to address the need at corner, especially once you hear what ultimately happens with Isaiah Rogers. Are they waiting on that or are they waiting on something else? Is, is it not a priority right now? Where, where do they stand as far as that position is concerned?
2: Yeah, they've been mum on this. Uh, Shane Steichen has shot down every single question about this, which is fair if you need situation for him to be in, especially considering – that what Isaiah Rogers is being alleged, or, or what he's being accused of doing, um, you know, happened when Shane Steichen wasn't even his coach yet. So um, that's something that he has to wait. I think, just from a general standpoint, common sense will tell you they probably just wait until the NFL um, comes to a ruling and then they can go from there, and it won't be because uh, I think if you go out and sign somebody right now, which would open the door to basically validating that he's going to be gone for quite some time. And, again, although he had sort of that apology that admitted something, didn't mention gambling in the apology, um, it does not look good for him. But, again, you kind of have to wait to see how it all shakes out. Personally, I think that they should go out and get a veteran corner. I know some listeners might be like, you know, tuning me out right now, rolling their eyes, but I really think that it is important to have a pro another pro in that room alongside Kenny Moore who can show them this is the way it takes to last in the NFL. This is what you have to do to be successful.
1: And and again, from the reports, James, we we understood at least from these reports that the Colts did not know about the Rogers situation um, until we basically learned of the Rogers situation. Therefore, have you gathered whether or not they would have still decided to part ways so easily with Stephon Gilmore or, were they like playing with Stefan Gilmore's thoughts of being an elder statesman at that position in mind and putting him with a team that could go further than certainly they could right now? Or, or maybe would you be second-guessing that had they known the situation when they decided to part ways with Gilmore?
2: Yeah, these are all questions that I'm going to have to just make sure I write down and ask Chris Ballard. But I will say this. I do think that you rethink it more uh, because when the trade was initially made for Stefan Gilmore – at the NFL's owner's meeting, Chris Ballard said that he believes in Dallas Flowers. He believes in Isaiah Rogers to step up and kind of help fill that void. And obviously losing Isaiah, that's a that's a huge blow. It might not be you know a shockwave throughout the league, but it definitely tends a shockwave throughout the Colts in that cornerback room because the only other guy in that room who started more than four games in their career is Kenny Moore. And so they're in a bind. I do think that the Stefan Gilmore trade would have given, been given more thought. But ultimately, I also think that it probably still would have went through because From what I understand, he requested a trade and Stephon Gilmore is a guy who um, is highly respected around the league, highly respected here in Indianapolis. And I think that the Colts would have done him a solid anyway to help him um, further his career and sort of go chase another playoff appearance and possible Super Bowl appearance, you know, knowing that he's on that backstage of his career and doesn't have many years left
1: it's uh, james boyd of the athletics of the andy moore automotive group hotline you also referenced a little bit earlier and i've seen this a couple of different places uh, a, a shaky kind of discombobulated offensive effort in this mandatory mini camp and, and again it's not like that that is huge news but certainly is something worthy of conversation uh, describe how that has looked to you through these two days
2: yeah yesterday was rough um just inconsistencies all over the board. Um, Gardner Minshew was not able to connect on any of his 11-on-11 throws yesterday. Really struggled. There were a couple that were dropped, a few that were just off target, you know, uh, miscues and things like that. And then with Anthony Richardson, it was more of the same. You know, he had a throw that he threw to Ashton Doolin that probably shouldn't have been caught because it was way behind him. Doolin makes a great catch, grabs it. And um, you know keeps the chains moving, but then he has one where he throws a perfect pass to Mo alley Cox, and Mo alley Cox drops it. You know a deep post that would have been a huge play in a real game. And so um, then he comes back in seven on sevens and throws a 65 yard beautiful deep bomb to Vincent Smith, and then on the very next play he throws an interception to EJ Speed in seven on seven. So these are the ups and downs you would expect from Anthony Richardson. I probably would have expected to be a little bit cleaner with Gardner Minshew, but I also think the problem that they've kind of been up against as quarterbacks beyond just running the offense and getting to command everything is that they haven't been with their expected receivers. Michael Pittman Jr. hasn't... He didn't do anything in rookie... I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, not rookie minicamp. He's far from a rookie going to a contract year. But he didn't do anything in veteran minicamp. Jelani Woods is out for veteran minicamp. Will Mallory, the rookie tight end, he was out, in, and Josh Downs was out. He hasn't practiced since in rookie minicamp. So these are all people that you would expect at some point to um, have an impact. Even Alec Pierce missed a day. So um, there's been a lot of uh, learning, but also just having to learn with guys. You just, I would assume if things go well, would not be out there, you know, come game time here in the fall.
1: Yeah. It, um, what, what, what is your thought just from, and again, this is a, a small kind of thumbnail sketch of where they are right now. And we'll certainly learn a lot more come the end of July and leading up to the season. But um would you consider Anthony Richardson, and this is a horrible question, man, so good luck with it, on pace to be a week one starter or well off the pace from what you've witnessed?
2: I would lean more towards the former, that he's on pace. Um, again, I'm not sure what that exactly means. He was asked yesterday, actually, you know, what do you think will be the determining factor in deciding a starter? And he's like, I'm not sure. You know, I'm just going to go out there and and keep trying to get better and see what happens. And I think there's some truth to that. There's also some quarterback speak. You don't want to say too much and put yourself in a bind against your head coach. But I think that he's doing okay. Um, He doesn't look like he's completely clueless out there, doesn't look completely lost. And from what everyone has said, teammates, coaches, he's approaching it the right way, asking a ton of questions, uh, really diving into the playbook and being sort of that humble, charismatic leader that's, slowly but surely come out of his shell because early on they were saying he's pretty quiet. But then as we saw yesterday, he had a joke to start, you know, um, yesterday's pressure. So I think he's coming along just fine. But I would just say to a lot of the fans out there who are, you know, really want this guy to start, it's not a failure if he isn't ready by week one, because I think it's been understated just how big of a leap he has to take to go from 13 starts as a college player to, you know, being a starter in the NFL for one of the 32 teams in the best league in the world. So um, we'll see how it goes. But I think the training camp will tell us a lot more, especially in those joint practices when – Quite frankly, the other team doesn't care about how your quarterback develops, and they're there to embarrass you. So I'm excited for that for sure.
1: Yeah, and James, this has been my point I've made regarding that, too. And this is why I, – listen, I understand if he's far off the mark. I, I completely understand why you do err on the side of caution. But that won't relax the level of disappointment that I would have because he's that far off the pace and you combine that with all right if he's that far at the start of the season and knowing how you have to handle practice time in game week situations so when is he going to be ready it seems like that that would be a really tough hill to climb if he is not deemed ready by week one that's been my thought
2: yeah I think that's fair I do think that the way I see it is He's not going to be a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew by week one. However, there just can't be this humongous ocean in between the two. You know what I mean? Like, you have to see considerable progress. You have to feel confident that When you put him out there, he's not going to, you know, completely, like, get lost or, or have this fear or deer in the headlights moment. And I'm sure there's going to be some growing pains. But I think a lot of it just has to do with how he's picking up the playbook, how he's commanding the locker room, how much his teammates respect him. And if all those things, all those boxes are checked, you can live with him not being, um, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, 100% ready um, because no one really is in any field, and especially in this, you know, league of, you know, NFL and things like that. So I expect him to either progress, and again, for me, it would have to be where he's just not picking up, and, and I don't think that would ever be the case. It seems like he's a very smart player. I know that kind of gets glossed over because of his athletic gifts, but it seems like he's doing his best to learn the playbook and grasp it, and again, we'll learn, we'll learn a lot more when he gets more live reps against opposing teams, who, again, have heard all the things about Anthony Richardson. You know, he could be a top five player in the league. You think Philly cares? You think the Bears care when they're coming to town or when they go up there to Philly? So there's going to be times where he's going to get humbled. But, again, I I expect him to bounce back and to, uh, you know, potentially close that gap over the summer. As long as, again, it's not huge, he'll be okay. And when you throw him out there, the key to me is that you keep him out there. You don't want to throw him out there and things go horribly, and then you got to yank them because then you're going to lose confidence and there's going to be a whole, you know, thing. So just make sure whenever you put him out there, week one, week four, whatever, he stays out there.
1: Hey, hey James, it's, it's not like that. You know, I know this. I know that Chris Ballard has a different philosophy of construction of a team than a lot, than many. Um, and it really had not worked out at all, to be honest with you right now. Uh, I've made major note. We've all made major note of that. And we see what happened to Dalvin Cook. Uh, we're seeing what may end up happening to Saquon Barkley. Duh, does that at all change the dynamic of this thought process on what the Colts' intentions might be for Jonathan Taylor and an extension moving forward?
2: I think their situation has to be looked at. If you're the Colts, you're, you're the GM, Chris Ballard, you have to look at it from your own team perspective. You can't look at the outside people, but I know for him – he was more candid today than he's really ever been since I've been on the beat. You know, he's, Yeah, he's, I noticed he's, that so,
1: too. I noticed the same thing. You're right.
2: Yeah, like he's pretty cookie-cutter answer, you know, never really say too much, never really shake the tree or whatever. But today he was kind of saying, you know, it's on them, you know, to pay me what I'm worth. And I don't think that he's going out here asking them to, you know, reset the market super crazy for him. But as someone who won the league rushing title two years ago – and is obviously, in my opinion, a top five running back in the NFL, he expects to, um, you know, get rewarded for that. And then I think last year kind of complicates that for him because he was injured and he wasn't himself. So, um, ultimately, I think a deal does get done, but there is some truth to running back value and maybe um, teams being hesitant to invest in that. And, And personally, I don't know if it's the money per se or the year's. You know, it, I think the sweet spot would be somewhere like a three year 45, 42 million, something in that range. Because to me, if he's asking for a five year deal, I'm probably not doing that for a running back. But a three year deal, and you're, you know, you're a free agent again when you're 27, we have the chance to move on from you or re sign you if you're still pretty good. That's a conversation to be had. But um, I would not, you know, pay him huge money over a long term. Because you just you know in this league, as great as running backs are, it matters what your quarterback is. And then usually if you get a great quarterback, you can kind of, you know, ragtag the running back room and make it work. So um, JT's a special player, though. I do know that. I do know the Colts reward players, um, homegrown players especially. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But it sounds like JT um, kind of put, you know, some people on notice, like, hey, man, you know, I understand that I'm a team guy, but – like any player, he wants to get paid, and he feels like he deserves to get paid. And I'm glad I'm not in that position to kind of decide those things because, I mean, your heart tells you one thing, but your head tells you another.
1: Hey, James, I kind of felt, and I I read what you did and what you're talking about right here regarding his his response, which was more pointed than it normally is, And my whole viewpoint was it is a reaction and a response to what has been going on in the NFL around him a little bit. That's kind of how I felt it was.
2: Yeah, and I think that you feel that if you're in his position. If you play the game at the highest level like him and you feel like you've done enough to be rewarded, the one thing that does help JT is that I think he's a better player than Dalvin Cook, better player than Ezekiel Elliott, you know, at this stage of his career. And he's in that conversation with Saquon and Josh Jacobs. But, again, the thing that makes it kind of hard for him to gain leverage in the situation is because of the season he had last year was kind of injury-prone. Um, and then also, J.P.'s not a huge third-down back. So if he's asking for that kind of money, as from the Colts' perspective, you're like, man, he's a special player, but how much value do we put into a running back, number one? And number two, how much value do we put into a running back who isn't always out there on third down and isn't that much of a pass catcher? Um, like a Christian McCaffrey, for example. And even he, you know, um, was injured after he got a huge extension. I think the Panthers kind of regretted paying him all that money. And when he goes to San Francisco, it's a different story. But for the Panthers, they were thinking, you know, good riddance. We can finally move on from this and save some money. So uh, a lot of moving parts, a lot of factors involved with it. But um, I don't blame JT for sort of sticking up for himself and that running back position because every year that goes by it seems like that position gets further and further devalued and while the quarterbacks and the wide receivers continue to be up on the
1: up and up. Is it fair to say though that the reason why his his value may be higher within the Colts right now is because they have such an unestablished quarterback position right now too. Does that up the value on this team considering what their quarterback value is in such an unknown right now?
2: Bingo. Yes. I think that you have to find a way to keep him on the roster. I don't know if you franchise tag him, but I think that you need to pair Jonathan Taylor with Anthony Richardson for at least the next three seasons as he develops. Because when you have to go into a football field and account for Jonathan Taylor, that alleviates so much pressure off of Anthony Richardson and probably makes his life and transition to the NFL a lot easier. So I would expect them to definitely be weighing that as a factor because Again, the gap is huge. The leap is huge that Anthony Richardson has to take. And having a player who's already established, already a dominant force, can definitely, you know, help alleviate some of that pressure and, um, you know, just sort of curve out or or maybe lessen that uh, that learning curve that they are going to have to go under as far as being a rookie quarterback in the NFL. So I think JT and and Anthony Richardson, there's going to be times when they line up together in this upcoming season, they're the best two athletes on the field and if you have that you got a shot and so I would expect the Colts to really weigh that and want to keep that pair together um and hope that it turns into something special in the years to come. Yeah,
1: and this path has been taken because the Colts are doing it backwards. I mean, normally you you build the rest of the team around, you know, a fourth overall selection at quarterback that you're going to believe is the long-term future there, but instead, you're kind of putting him in with some already established going into extension personnel right now really on both sides of the football it's just kind of backwards compared to what normal teams do and i guess we'll see how it works out
2: yeah i think you made a very good point just considering all they have to factor in as far as you know do we pay jt you know how do that develop anthony richardson and so i think overall these are decisions that um come with the territory of having a team that was kind of built a little bit too early so to speak you know um I think that right now the focus should be on JT because it's more imminent, and then obviously Anthony Richardson because he's the face of the franchise now. But questions have to be asked about the rest of the team and the timeline they're on. Like, for example, a guy like DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, is going into a contract year. Um, you know, these are players you have to think about. Like, okay, Ryan Kelly, okay, how long do we keep these guys around? How much do they matter to what we're trying to do as far as showing – Um, these young guys, how to be pros and the culture we're trying to build versus knowing that you're on a different timeline and a guy like DeForest Buckner and and Grover Stewart, these guys might not fit what you're trying to do right now. They fit, you know, the team that you had in years past where you thought you were one quarterback away. You're not. I think last season showed that. And so they don't want to call it a rebuild. They haven't called it a re-anything, but there's going to have to be some redoing, some big redoing, I think, after this upcoming season especially once you see what
1: you have with Anthony Richardson. Uh, James Boyd, before I let you go, uh, it's going to be a mystery, and certainly until we see him play, as to what level he's ever going to be able to reach. How much of a mystery is the timeline you were just talking about, but I'll bring it over to Shaquille Leonard. How much of a mystery is that going to be moving forward?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. It definitely is a mystery. Um Every update we've gotten, every time we've asked about it, is you know, he's progressing. There's no timeline. And so I think if we come back in six weeks and he's not out there for training camp in any capacity, he's sort of just being a spectator like he was last season. And obviously, what we've seen so far throughout this offseason, I think you have to get a little more worried about his progression and things that are going on. Last time we talked to him, I believe it might have been about a month ago, and and Shaq said he, you know, had hardly done any running yet and things like that. So you feel for the guy, and you also realize that from a team-building standpoint, if he isn't able to be the maniac, if he isn't able to be, um, you know, out there sometime soon, how long do you, you know, stay attached to this and things like that? And I know um, he's doing everything in his power to work his way back. I think one of the things I always push back on with fans – criticize him or criticize others for being out is there's no guy who loves football more than Shaq and I'm not saying that as a cliche but I mean the guy really does love this and so if he could be out there right now he would I do think he's being smarter this time around not rushing himself back but again if we get into training camp he's not ready to go and then obviously we continue to go through training camp and he's still not out there um, it's fair to ask that question of one is he going to be back out there and if he is going to be back out there at some point can he be the dominant player that you paid him to be? So, um, you know, that's one thing that isn't at the forefront of our minds just yet, but it's going to become more and more of a thing if things do not uh, move into a more positive direction sometime over the next few
1: months. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, what you're going to have is a quarterback that's, that's not going to be ready for a you know, specific prime time when a lot of those around him that are getting paid handsomely are. And then once he's ready for that prime time, these guys are, I hate to say it, I hate to put it this way, are going to be uh, over the proverbial hill. You know what I mean? And that's that's kind of a backwards way to do things, and that's unfortunately the situation Chris Ballard and company are in right now.
2: Absolutely, but I also think nothing else matters with the quarterback, not to be um, hyperbolic, but it's true. If you hit on Anthony Richardson yeah, and he becomes You're right. a star and he looks like a guy, you can kind of, you know, absolve yourself and forgive yourself for whatever whatever missteps you might have had or not being on the exact right timeline because at that point, you know for a fact you have a guy and you can make more definitive decisions about the pieces you put around him.
1: There's no doubt about that. That is the cure-all. The cure-all, in fact, I mean, that's just a have-to. That is a have-to across this organization, because I don't even think anybody wants to think about, in this case, what happens if it isn't. It is an absolute, James. There's no doubts about that for this organization <laughs> moving forward. So, hey, doing a great job in the midday, man. Um, it's good to get to know you a little bit. Good to have you on the show. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Get a little bit of rest, and, and we'll see if we can uh, seek out some uh, pickup basketball places <laughs> sometime down the road. All right?
2: I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And um, like I said, it should be exciting from here on out, even without, you know, some things over the next few weeks, I'm sure. Whatever Anthony Richardson tweets, drinks, if he makes it to another Walgreens and someone recognizes him, it'll be a thing. (laughs) So it's pretty cool to cover a guy like that because, you know, all eyes are on him and it's kind of cool to be part of it.
1: No doubt about that, James. I appreciate you, man.
2: All right. Have a good one. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time
0: greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob
1: 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Podline. Kevin Bowen, have you been to the back nine before, Kev?
0: I have. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome place. I um, actually went over there for lunch. It was probably about a month, month and a half ago. Just to check it out and not to like compare it to, you know, any other uh, competitors of theirs, but I, I find it much more like entertainment, bring the crew, bring the crowd, and less like golf centric, which right. I think is great. I, I, I think that's kind of the appeal that you're going for. I mean, obviously, you have the fun of, of what the golf thing is there. And as someone like me, I love that. But I also enjoy venues like that for just having a drink, watching a game, multitasking, talking with friends, seeing a band.
1: They got they got a stage. You can have a band out there too. You can do a lot of things. Plus, by the way, yeah, I don't know where. Did you play when you were there? I did not play, no. I just got lunch, actually. Well, when you play there, I, I did back in January, and it was awesome. It was warm and everything else, but we played on level three right there in the middle. And when you're hitting that thing toward downtown with that as the backdrop, it's pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, it is an awesome view. I I, I walked out there just to kind of look at look at the bays and everything, uh, and that was a really cool view. You know, is a big Back 9 fan, I was talking with him earlier today, that would be the one and only Matt Taylor is he really who is also not a big golf guy by any means but he uh yeah he loved it he's like dude every time i've been it's been packed it's been great entertainment so i'm really looking forward to it july 11th um i know you've been plugging it so that's tuesday um we'll be out there like you said soon to three and then i know you've got a big role from an auction standpoint and you'll be out there bright and early as well so I'm really looking forward to it, and you know, Jake and I don't get an opportunity to do a whole lot of remote shows, but when we do, um, it's definitely some of our favorites. So I cannot wait for that.
1: I have, wa- I, I don't know if anybody's offered this, but I want to put this on the auction block, and I, I feel confident that that Jake will be okay with it. I didn't tell, I talked to him earlier today. And I didn't tell him this when I was talking to him, but I think we need some sort of, you know, coming up in the the late summer, early fall, uh, we need to offer up Jake for a fireside chat for the highest bidder. Like it's somebody's you know bonfire, somebody's fire pit, well, a fireside chat with Jake Query needs to be something that you can bid on. Would you agree?
0: I would agree. I would maybe alter the title instead of Fireside Chat, maybe just Fireside Listen, because I I don't know how much back and forth (laughs) it'll be there.
1: I think, I don't know if that's on the list, but if it's not on the list, (laughs) I think it should be right there.
0: Yeah, no, that is uh, that is outstanding. Open up that encyclopedia of, of a brain and let, it, and let it go to work. Yeah, I, I think that's a terrific
1: idea. Let it flood right there, too. So again, July the 11th, sign up today, and again, you're going to have to come up with a pretty damn good excuse not to be there, a part of a foursome or whatever with us, because it is going to be a fantastic time on July the 11th. Sign up at 1075thefan.com right now. It's Kevin Bowen of the Morning Show with us. So yesterday Today was Jim Mercey's birthday. If you are handing out a gift, what would it be?
0: Oh, gosh.
1: For the man well, who has everything. Well, not everything right now, clearly. yeah. <laughs> Part of the everything is a work in progress, <laughs> but yes.
0: Yeah. I, I, well, when you first asked that, you certainly caught me off guard. A couple things popped in my head. Yeah. One was Andrew Luck. Um. One was an AFC South banner and then the last thing was you grant him a musical act in next year's Super Bowl.
1: Oh, yeah. How about that? What do you think he would take? How, if about, he, how, about, he, how he, about if he ever gets in a, a photograph with John Mellencamp and Mellencamp would crack a smile? Would that be a good gift? What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Is that impossible? Can Mellencamp just – and I love Mellencamp, but my God, dude, just crack a smile. Like, have some fun every now and then.
0: Yeah, the old – um I feel like it hasn't been a couple of years, it's been a, at least a couple of years since he's been at either IU games that they've shown him on. But when they've shown him, you know, underneath the scoreboard in his old seats, I'm always thinking to myself, man, he, he looks like Bob Knight from the psy <laughs> uh, He his just looks. It looked like Belichick, honestly.
1: What was it? They were in New York. Was it last weekend when they were in New York doing a show? And, and you know, Melon Camp's there. It's like Melon Camp and. Uh, and uh... Mike Wanchick, who's the longtime Mellencamp collaborator, basically since the mid-70s when when John got started. And, and believe me, take nothing away, I love Mellencamp. And I've always loved his music. I've always loved the way that he has offered up different ways to approach it. He's never really settled on one thing. I mean, he has he expanded his game. He is an incredible, one of the greatest to ever do it, musically speaking. But the man is just too damn salty. I just wish he would chill once. Could he just not chill?
0: Yeah, I did think in that picture there might have been a small, small crack of a smile, but boy, that and that hair—I mean,
1: that—I dig the hair. I'd be all about the hair, yeah. but I just want—I want to know that he's having some fun. It's almost like, oh hell, I got to—I got to be here. <laughs> Wait a minute—I mean, it's great to be oh, there. You're Camp.
0: Whereas Ursay smiles literally looked like a kid on Christmas morning. Oh, yes, it
1: looked like like you when you just opened up a box that had some kind of Notre Dame helmet in it or something. (laughs)
0: Literally, I looked like me when I found out (laughs) Micah Shrewsbury was the hire. Yeah, that's perfect. I honestly think, like, if you asked Ursay, I mean, lie detector to the whole thing, let's say pre-Anthony Richardson draft pick, and you told them, you can have a call with Andrew Luck to try and talk him back into playing, and Andrew would listen. Or you can play a next year Super Bowl. I'm thinking he might play a next year Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, it's um, yeah, Kev. It uh, it, it's something right there. It is. Yeah, I just uh, he's got he has a lot of fun. I'll give him that. But yeah. the, the ultimate is, in he's got a lot of backing up to do because he has made a lot of promises. Uh, to those Colts fans out there that have uh, uh, gone uh, undelivered to this point, and now you ask them to to wait a little bit, Kev. I didn't want to ask you this. You know, considering the injury today, considering they've cut mandatory minicamp short by a day, uh, they've canceled tomorrow. Uh, considering the situation of Isaiah Rodgers, no doubt about that. Do you believe that they would reconsider now? Do they still feel good about trading Stephon Gilmore? Or had they known what they know now, would they have held on?
0: That's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, do you get a fifth-round pick? I mean, hell, the pick you might have gotten for Stephon Gilmore might have been Daniel Scott, who you know, had the torn ACL and, and, and is now out for the year, the safety out of Cal. Um, I, I still think that was a lot more mutual than it was ever made out to be and, and potentially even a request from Gilmore on that end. Um, so, I, I, you know, part of me kind of looked at it and said, okay, financially, are they also trying to alleviate some room there? Now, obviously, fast forward to June 14th, and they haven't really spent much on the cap space. Of course, you know, maybe we can get into the Jonathan Taylor chat from today and or Michael Pittman. Is any of that cap space used there? And I, I'm rather content with the youth movement. I mean, I think Gilmore was a really, really good player for you and was vital in you winning any games last season. Um, so that is a loss, but, you know, if you're going to make that commitment to kind of turn over the Leaf and you know Gilmore's over, only playing probably one more year for you, uh, it's not like you're talking about him multiple years down the road. And I think defensively, you know, it, when you're talking about supporting Richardson, I still think the veteran market needs to be explored offensively. Agreed. But defensively, I would say I, I'm rather content. I mean, there, there will be growing pains. Granted, if you let them go up against this Colts passing offense right now, you you won't find many growing pains, at least in practice. But obviously, there there, there will be some this season. But you know, if it pays off down the road to where Dallas Flowers gets all this time and Juju Brintz gets all this time then it could work it is wild though to look at the entire cornerback depth chart from last year and just see how much it has turned over from one year to the next
1: see i would i would suggest that what they would have a change of heart i I agree with you about it being mutual but I, i do while you want them to grow and that's great because that's all we ever talk about is growth and what's going to be down the road which wears me absolutely out but i do kev want them to compete and I don't want to know that, you know, you're kind of half assing a search for somebody in that secondary because you're intent on growth of others. I also want to know that you're you're competing. So I would like to think that even in that case, even with the elder statesmanship of a Stephon Gilmore and certainly not a, a playoff worthy type of team that maybe they would have reconsidered had they known what they know now.
0: Yeah, and that's, and that's fair, and I know there's certainly people that, that view it in that in that light. Um, you know, I, I thought, John, you know, mid-October last year when things were going the way that, that they were, um, and I kind of forget if you had – I think you had fired Reich right after the trade deadline, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, I thought Gilmore got to the point where even last year when all the dysfunction was starting to bubble, you know, if I were him, I think he's kind of earned the right as a pro to walk in there and say to Chris Howard, hey, man this is not going in the right direction. Can we find some desperate team? You guys get a little bit in return and, you know, both parties can be happy. I don't think it was worth necessarily keeping Gilmore for the next two months just to go, just go down that path. Uh, But, you know, you know, it's probably honestly where you and I differ a little bit in that when it's looking bad, you know, getting rid of a guy that has one year left to me is not the end of the world. I totally understand that, you know, people don't enjoy watching four and 12, four and 13, et cetera. Um, but in, in Gilmore's case, I think from both sides of it, uh, I think it was a lot more player-driven than became yeah, public. Yeah,
1: I, I would agree. I would agree with that, too. It's, uh, Kevin bowen on the morning show with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So I, I guess more... Pointed comments from Jonathan Taylor than what you normally get where there's not a lot. I mean, certainly he says a lot. He answers questions, but there's not a lot to take away from it. Was that because obviously his extension, which he wants further down the road and justifying within this team. And again, saying that and being loud with that right now or as loud as he can be because of what you see going on around you, like what you see with Dalvin Cook, what you see Saquon Barkley going through right now. You're trying to you know justify even more what you believe your value is and what you should be paid in an extension with this team. Is that what we heard today?
0: Yeah, I thought it was pretty un like and I think that's an important thing to point out. Jonathan Taylor is not Eric Ebron in front of a mic. Um, I would say he's rather vanilla, nothing against him. He just doesn't choose to really be super expansive or super controversial um, when, when he talks to the, to the media. And, again, I got you know, no issue with that. Um, but today it looked like the new agent had given him some pretty clear talking points and how he was going to handle those questions. Um, he mentioned you see why guys request trades, you know, talking about some of the other running backs around the NFL. Um, You know, he brought up the past precedent of Chris Ballard several times and mentioning that if guys perform for this franchise and also do the right things in the community, which I I don't think anyone can we can argue the position Taylor plays. That's a totally fine argument. I think it's a huge argument that's honestly in the Colts leverage here. But there is no denying that dude is over exceeded where he got drafted and he is pristine when you're talking about off the field. So uh, he, he certainly has a legit argument in saying, hey, look at what they did to Darius Leonard, now Shaquille. Look what they did to Braden Smith. You know, look what they did with Naheem Hines. You know, draft picks that exceeded their performance. They got these extensions heading into the final year of his contract. Now, again, I have no issue with the Colts pushing back and having some hesitancy and wanting to have, you know, a, a rather probably intense back and forth on this. Um, welcome to running backs. It's probably honestly a reason why you don't draft running backs as high as they, they did, because you get to this point very young. I'm mean, we're talking about a 24 year old running back where there are questions about what you should do with him from a contractual standpoint. And if he played, you know, numerous other positions, you wouldn't even think twice about giving him the type of contract that he likely deserves. Um, I also saw Steven older alerted up his alerted us of this uh, Taylor has liked Steven's tweet um, from earlier today. Uh, I think Steven just mentioned, you know, something about Taylor's quote of "you see who you see why guys request trades." And it was a link to um, to Steven's story, and it wasn't even like he tagged Taylor in said story or in said tweet. So it's about as close to like again Eric Ebron as you're gonna get from a guy like Jonathan Taylor. And I just think it's a fascinating contract negotiation for the Colts. I think the Colts love Taylor. They love him a lot. But, I mean, Dalvin Cook, Minnesota's bailing on him two years to go on a five-year extension. And Saquon Barkley, we'll see what the extension looks like. And we're talking about the second overall pick in Barkley, who was a huge reason why they just led the Giants to the postseason this past year. And there's questions there. And, you know, Josh Jacobs with the Raiders, it's just a, a position that has heavy heavy scrutiny right now and how you pay it and I get it and I understand it but I also can see Taylor's um, side of it and I'll be very curious to see how all of it's going to play out.
1: I two things that occurred to me Kev with that in mind. One is certainly, you know, the the quarterback situation, you know, either going, you know, with the growth uh, and the inexperience or you know, the backup variety. Uh, You're still talking about a a quarterback situation that uh, has a long way to go, And, and obviously you would want the help of a runner in that situation, a former productive runner in that situation. Plus, I can just get around never at this point, Kev, the fact that Chris Ballard still believes in that like he believes in a lot of things that you and I don't necessarily believe in, in terms of constructing ultimately a championship worthy type of team. And thus with that belief, which I don't think his beliefs, even with not living up to any expectations so far through those first six or so years here, I don't think those beliefs have changed that much. And certainly not in the case of Jonathan Taylor.
0: No, I, you know, the, the ankle injury happened last year. It clearly has sidelined him for the entire offseason program. He said today it's a goal to start training camp. So, you know, I don't, that's not an ACL. It's not an Achilles. Like, I don't think that's enough to, you know, be like, oh my gosh, injury red flag. And this guy's been so durable throughout his career. Granted, you know, maybe there's a seed of doubt of, hey, is the wear and tear from all the carries he had at Wisconsin, is that starting? to show up, and what do the next three to four years look like? My thing with Taylor is this. I, I would let him play out the rookie contract. I'd probably slap the franchise tag on him then next offseason. I get that that's not going to appease him, uh, but I would still think it will create a hunger in him to try and get to that second contract whenever it is. But again, this is my opinion. I don't think the Colts are going to do this. And then you get you know two years into the Richardson experiment, and you kind of reevaluate things of where you're at. You know, Maybe you've drafted a running back in the fourth or fifth round in between, you know, now and, and and then, and okay, that guy you you feel like can you know, be a little bit more of a bell cow for you. My thing is, I would not want to tie a five year length onto a contract, even though Taylor has some attributes that you're like he could be the outlier, he could be the difference, uh, or, or or the you know unique case study, if you will, of, of all these running backs in present day NFL. I just don't think you want to tie yourself up that deep into it. Having said all of that, I totally can hear people that are saying, well, it's not like Ballard spent the money on anything else. Might as well spend it on Taylor. Might as well spend it on Michael Pittman. Um, And that's certainly true. I mean, they've got a bunch of cap space that they haven't used that they could easily just extend Taylor, front load that right now, and it's not like they're paying Anthony Richardson anytime soon. It's not like they're paying Bernard Ryman anytime soon. Quiddy pay. So, uh, you know, when you talk about the premium positions, uh, you could go there. So, Again, Taylor's going to help out Richardson a lot. I think they will eventually get to common ground, and, and I don't expect this to be too big of an issue and you know, Taylor to all of a sudden walk at the end of next season by any means. But I think it just kind of goes back to, you know, don't draft running backs in the first three rounds because there is this question on the value that they bring to you and the shelf life that they bring you. To me, if you're drafting dudes rounds one, two, three, your goal is that's a seven- to nine-year player for you, if not longer. And with running backs, again, you're seeing a Dalvin Cook, you just see teams that just want to bail on guys a little bit earlier for uh, a, a lot of reasons.
1: Does the recent extensions and the disappointment that has come along with some of those in this case here play any role with how they handle this? You mean like – the extensions yeah, that they've handed runners- they've handed out that haven't – Work to this point, and we can you know go over some of those, or still like maybe Leonard better, Nelson. yeah, maybe maybe better yeah. said, Kev. Still are within question as to they're going to work. Should that play a role? And,
0: uh, you know, and the fact that Taylor brought him up on several occasions. Now he didn't single the guys out, but he made it clear. I mean, this franchise has past past precedent when you know players exceed their rookie contracts, they yeah. get rewarded for that. Um, I think it definitely plays a role. I, I would assume that is a bargaining chip or however you want to call it um, something that his team is going to bring up in these back back and forth and so again he did change agents if I'm not mistaken I believe it is Shaquille Leonard's agent he's now with here recently you would assume that that is again to you know try and kind of prove where you're at from a value standpoint with all of those things so um, you know Pittman is, is is one that I could there's part of me that thinks boy would Michael Pittman want to you know, kind of show out in in a contract year and see what that looks like. But, you know, with Leonard, with Braden Smith, with Quentin Nelson, even with Naheem Hines, I think when you and I have these conversations, John, in mid-June with all of them over the last few years, I think we all kind of sat here and thought, yeah, these will get done before the start of the season. With Taylor and Pittman, I think the Colts really like them, want them to be here, but you can make strong arguments on both sides of the ledger for how you would handle those contracts. So uh, these are ones that, again, I I don't think the interest is lacking. I don't think this is like a Yannick Ngakwe where it's like, yeah, we're good. No, I think that they definitely want them to be Colts for a long time. But given the positions they play and how you know it's different, but how interesting those two markets have been at running back and receiver, again, I'm fascinated to see how they play out.
1: So, Grady Dicks coming in tomorrow to work out for the Pacers. How much level of interest do you think they actually have if he is available, which I think he will be at number seven overall? I don't think it's that high. Do you?
2: Yeah, I would hope
0: zero interest at seven. I I am curious, like, do they view him and think, hey, if he starts falling, is this a guy we could package some picks, package a player, potentially get back in the late lottery? and? you know, here's a 6'8 wing that can shoot the hell out of it, and, you know, 6'8 wings that can shoot it like that are always going to have some sort of place in the NBA. Uh, that is probably where more of my interest is on him because I think that is something that, like, we're obviously very locked in on what happens at, at 7, but, again, you have these three picks in 26, 29, and 32. Like, how are you going to handle that? Are you going to package them together and try and move up, or are you going to sit there and throw a dart or two at – the Andrew Nemhard area from last year, or are you going to try and trade for a veteran, trade for a future pick? That's where I, I don't I, – I think I have a decent understanding of what they're going to do at seven. I, I mean, I'm pretty – like, unless the board really looks like something different than – It's Jerez
1: Walker, right, at number seven if he's there, correct?
0: Yeah, i go Walker one, and I'd probably put Hendricks, Taylor Hendricks out of Central Florida second. Um, those would be the two that, that I would look at – most closely, again, I, I me personally, I'd give the side edge to Walker as well. Uh, but I do think Hendricks has some intriguing traits about him that would fit what the Pacers have. But, yeah, Grady Dick at seven, no way. But I, I'm not this one that's like, and I don't know, maybe we're just, you know, we just have the stigma here. Of like, don't draft the somewhat tall white dude in Indiana because, you know, whatever, because the track record doesn't. Worked out with a Hansborough or a plumley or a Leaf, but I actually uh, do think Grady Dick can be a really nice piece for you. And I would think with a kind of Halliburton Matherin, yeah, okay, I can I can see you know maybe you're thinking life after Buddy Heald down the road. You, you got to have some shooting to continue to space the floor, but I, I, I defensively matters more than that with with the pick at seven and especially rebounding. And getting that that ideal forward position.
1: Walker just seems like more so than anything else for this spacer team. He translates to multi needs that they in this case need. They need to evolve sooner rather than later. So that's why that makes more more sense to me. The type of player he's described to be, what he he showed certainly in Houston, knowing that there was a heavy concentration in defense at Houston. Uh, he looks like, um, as far as his build, you know, he looks ready to go. It looks like he, again, could evolve quicker to what they need. And it's it's a no-brainer for me at seven if that's the availability.
0: Yeah, I mean, he certainly checks defensive versatility, rebounding. I mean, to your point, he, he looks like a grown man at 19 years old. Uh, he was outstanding rebounding, blocking shots wise in the tournament. that kind of stood out to me, you know, at Houston, he wasn't really asked to do a whole lot offensively. Like he still found ways to score, but, you know, they were so guard dominant, like they didn't really need, or, you know, even maybe want him to do a whole lot offensively. So I do think there's like, okay, he's 19. Could he grow into more on the offensive end of the floor? Yeah. I brought up Taylor Hendricks. Hendricks is probably the better, just like pure shooter of the two. But, again, I'm kind of curious, could Walker grow into a little bit more offensively, whereas do you look at Hendricks and say, yeah, that dude was on a really bad team. Yeah, I mean, his efficiency was good, but, you know, someone's got to score on a bad team like that, so um, yeah, Walker would be where I would I would come kind of aside.
1: All right, before I let you go, um, we're excited about the Reds right now. It may be short lived, but we're Reds fans, and we know that to be true. So you kind of have to soak up what you're able to soak up at that moment. and I'm assuming you are, as well as I am, right now, being two and a half games back of uh, the central top spot here uh, this late, as I kind of say that laughing, in June. That said, we're soaking it up. And I saw this from the Big Red Machine via a tweet a little bit earlier. If you could have dinner with three former Cincinnati Reds, you know, players, managers, broadcasters, who would it be?
0: Oh, boy, that's a great one. Um, Marty Brenneman or probably be one.
1: Great. Um, Brenneman's great.
0: Let's go Marty Brennan, man. Let's go Griffey. I mean, Griffey was always my, my my favorite growing up. Right. Um. You would probably answer this better than I, but would Sparky Anderson oh, be worth the. seat? I mean,
1: if you could yeah, – oh, my goodness, yes. Because you could talk yeah, about yeah. that. You could talk about his appearance on WKRP in Cincinnati, one of the all-time greats right there, television-wise. There's a lot you can do with Sparky. Yes. Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll go those three. Good call I, on Sparky Anderson. That's a good one out of you, right there. Well done.
0: You know, I was I was one in, in ninety when they won it all. So obviously, I don't have yeah. any memories whatsoever of it. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like okay, let's go a little broadcast, go a little oh, manager. That's good, and, and let's and let's go with who my favorite you know, baseball player was growing
1: up. Now, that's good because of the Big Red Machine guys, I've I've talked to Rose multiple times, Bench multiple times, the late Joe Morgan a couple of different times, George Foster, Tony Perez. Um, I've talked to those guys on the shows before. I've talked to uh, you know Bonnie Brenneman a couple of different times. But here's my angle, and you mentioned that wire-to-wire team of 1990. I think I would say, and I've talked to two of the three, but I think I would sit down and converse with the Nasty Boys. Norm Charlton, mm. Rob Dibble, and Randall Kirk Myers. Now, the only one I haven't talked to before on the show is Randy Myers. Charlton's been on before, I mean, Dibble and, on. and Dibble has been on before. Charlton was awesome, absolutely awesome years ago. I, just, I think they would provide more entertainment than you could imagine together. So those would be my three right there. Yeah, I like that.
0: I mean, honestly, you could go a lot of different directions with that answer. That's such a great question. Um, and, and you know, I am just kind of interested a little get a little bit more into the Ellie De La Cruz uh, as a person because the talent is absurd. It's it, it's a video game. Um, you know, you don't yeah. say it very often about baseball players. Like, literally, you are you know, non pitchers. Like, you're walking in right. To the stadiums, they are worth the price of admission, and he is certainly that. I mean, I had major intrigue when the Bats were playing here, um, when he was playing down in Louisville. Was like, oh yeah, I got to go watch him at, at Victory Field. So, it is rare, John, to say exciting time here in recent memory for a Reds fan. But it's certainly that. it's almost like the NL Central looks in reverse right now. I'm used to it, like like flipping upside down and seeing St. Louis at the bottom. Might honestly make me more excited than seeing the. That's hilarious, right
1: is what it is. I love saying the last place St. Louis Cardinals. That <laughs> makes me excited. Right there, I love it. Hey, by the way, I had Tommy Thrall on on Monday, and I I compared De La Cruz, and, and not as players and what they do as players, but just as you mentioned him as a video game type of player. I compared him to Bo Jackson. Because what what he does and what Bo Jackson did, really in anything, both baseball and football, but certainly baseball as well, what he did just looked so natural and easy. What is just elite-level difficult for everybody else, to me, looks easy to them. And I thought De La Cruz and Bo Jackson, that's who I compared them to.
0: Yeah, that that's a good one. I mean, again, Bo, I'm um, showing my age here a little yeah. bit, you know, a little bit prior to my time. But obviously, Jake's love for Bo Jackson is through yeah. the roof, yeah. and he just is gushing about him. And yeah, that is probably a good one. I mean, I know it's not the same sport, but I kind of always felt that way about watching like Adrian Peterson in football. Like there was just like a glide and an ease to their presence and their style on the field that was just different. It just I'm like, that guy just has traits that not a lot of people have. And in Cruz's case, which is different than an Otani or a Trout, is he just has that speed element where if he just puts the ball in play, he's immediately putting pressure. And then he has the power and he has the fielding, and he has the arm to go with it.
1: No doubt. Kevin Bowen, the morning show, Kevin and Quarry, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. And again, sign up for our golf outing, Back 9, coming up July the 11th at, uh, again, Back 9, 107.5thefan.com. It is going to be eat, drink, and play type of party. It is going to be spectacular. Kev will be there, and we'll hopefully get to auction off a fireside chat with Jake Quarry <laughs> to a lucky person coming up there on that Tuesday
0: fireside listen yeah fireside
1: maybe uh, fireside maybe
0: occasional chat
1: (laughs) maybe I'll get a breath in a time or two and that's about (laughs) it right there with Jake right, brother I appreciate it man thank you life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about
0: sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something
1: new, and everything in between. Andy Moore, automotive group potline. He does everything, and I'm assuming he's doing the baseball state finals coming up both Friday and Saturday downtown at Victory Field. He's Greg Rakestraw. Am I accurate about that?
3: You are accurate. I have the 2A and 3A games on Friday night. Rob Blackman will have the games on Saturday night, as I will have uh, Indy 11 soccer on Saturday evening.
1: We are tremendous fans, are we not, of Rob Blackman? One of our favorites. That's absolutely. Tremendously talented broadcaster. And no doubts about that. All right, so you got, uh, who do you got coming up again? What 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 matchups? No, he just dropped. Did everybody just drop? the hell was that? You know, I could have bungled that question, though. So if I can go back and do it all over, get a redo out of that, I'll do over. I'm okay. But that was weird. I think everything just dropped. Hey, sorry about that. For some reason, everyone just dropped out. So I'm going to put you right back. See, down. James is over there saying, hey, sorry about that. For some reason, everything just dropped out. James, that wasn't you, was it? No, it wasn't James. Back to Greg Rakestraw on and the Andy Moore Automotive <laughs> Group hotline. It wasn't James, Greg. It was just something. <laughs>
3: I thought because I had two region teams, you hung up on that. That was the deal.
1: Well, tell me about the armpit representing coming down, down here Friday and Saturday. What's the armpit bringing? Now, again, as the play-by-play guy
3: for these games, I want to point out that was JMB that said that, <laughs> and not Greg Rakestraw, affiliated with the IHSAA They Network. People understand that,
1: that I, uh, Yeah, the armpit in Michigan and Kansas are all kind of in the same spot, a little sweep spot for me. So.
3: Well, I have no Michigan or Kansas teams on Friday night, nice. just northwestern Indiana, just the region. Ileana Christian and Covenant Christian in 2A, followed by Andrean and Silver Creek in 3A.
1: All right. What's the better matchup? I
3: think they're both going to be pretty good. Um, Ileana and Andran are both defending champions in 2A and 3A. Uh, Ileana brings back their their top pitcher in Kevin Corcoran, uh, their top batter in the Vanderwood kid, whose dad is the head coach. Um, But they're going to play a couple of freshmen on their squad. Andran is going for a ninth 3A championship. Which is incredible. Incredible. All of which have been since 2005. Dave Pishker if he's not with 1,100 wins yet, he's about there uh, in terms of literally one of the greatest high school coaches in this state ever in any sport. Uh, he is. He should be up for consideration for the National High School Sports Hall of Fame. That's how good he has been, and obviously he's produced major, major, multiple major leaguers, guys like Sean Manaya uh, Mike to combined of, of recent vintage, but uh, they are good every year. They're a little bit young this year. Like, they've got 12 seniors, really only three or four of them play. So they thought this might be a bit of a transitional year. So with very much a different team, which they beat, a rebuff team that had a potential first-round pick throwing for them and Andrew Dukanich last year. This is kind of a different Andrean bunch, but yet they've scored seven runs in, in every postseason game. I've only had one of them that came down to a two-run game at the end of it. And they're back here at Victory Field yet again.
1: You know, it's, it's amazing. You brought up the numbers of Dave Pishker, the Andrean head coach. With those types of numbers, um, it's almost like he should be about 125 years old. That's how amazing that seems.
3: <laughs> and he basically started coaching in his mid-20s. Uh, and so I, I'll reveal this, and because I, I, I have talked to all four coaches at this point. I simply asked him, because I've, I've done – maybe five or six of their state championships now. I said, hey, are you thinking about hanging them up? And he goes, not even close. He goes, I'm still able to keep up in terms of of fungos and throwing BP and taking care of the field. So yeah. it, it's great news for Andrean folks and bad news for the rest of the state. I don't think he's hanging them up anytime soon. Uh,
1: well, I mean, you you never, you, you don't want to see it end either. And and that I think is what is, and just kind of looking at this certainly from well on the outside in, that's what's made the, the longevity and still finding a way to stoke that flame each and every year makes it to me even more amazing.
3: Uh, and they have just been able to, kind of cycle through talent, and again, they had a couple, three different Division I kids on that team last year, and even even a program like Andrean, you lose as many college-level players as they did off of last year's team. You typically aren't going to come back the very next year, but here they are again. I mean, they, they just simply win year in and year out, About the only thing that seems to slow them down are the years when they bump back up to 4A. They would not be eligible to do that until after next year. So, did you have a legitimate chance of making it a three-peat in 3A this time around? Well, I'm sure Silver Creek will have something to say about that.
1: So, Greg Rakestraw, who's with us, Lafayette Central Catholic in Bar-Reeve. Bar-Reeve, normally we're talking about that in terms of basketball, but they do have, to me, honestly, across the board, really good sports, really. But certainly in baseball, they're always very competitive. But this is a a year among uh, not so many other years in their past right now, isn't it?
3: I think this is the first time they have made it this far in 25 years. I think they made it the first year of 1A back in 1998. But that is a case, and you would say the same thing about Lagodi, maybe to a lesser extent to North Davies. But that is truly where the rising tide has lifted all ships. They have gotten so good in basketball most years that there is that collective belief that, hey, we're going to win in virtually every sport. And they've also got fantastic facilities. You know, you can point to, you know, what they, Ligoti, and Washington have in terms of basketball on that strip of U.S. 50. But if you look at all of Barry's facilities, baseball's right next to basketball. It's a tremendous place to play, the way they've got that set up. So, you know, it's kind of ironic. They were a little bit down in basketball this year for the first time in a while. And, again, that's by their very lofty standards. Most schools would have loved to have had the record in the season that Bari did. But the one year they're down, just a, a tick in basketball – they make a run of the baseball state tournament.
1: Uh, it's Greg throw with us. Before we move on to something else, Cinegrove and Penn. And I've got two questions about this matchup. The first one is when's the last time that the team that won the softball title can also win with that possibility in mind, the baseball title as Penn's going for coming up on Saturday evening. And I was talking to going back and forth with AJ Zapp from Center Grove a little bit earlier today. He's going to join me on the show, I think, tomorrow. His son Evan's a part of a very talented Center Grove team.
3: Center Grove is exceedingly good, uh, and they are clearly the favorite, but Penn gets there so often. And Greg Dyko's their head coach with over 800 wins this season. And so you know Penn's going to give him a battle. Um, I, I expect that game to be really good. Um, Center Grove has been the best team in the state all year, but but. Again, you know, they're, they're, it's baseball. You know, you have one good night. You have, one, you have a pitcher that has a great night. You have a couple of years that have an off night, and things can change. And, again, tennis is so well coached, and Penn is so good on a year-in, year-out basis. Your question about the baseball and softball winning in the same year, I'm literally trying to flip through the Rolodex of my mind uh, and think about teams that have won both in yeah. the same year. And in my 15 years of covering, that's about my, my time frame of covering, Baseball and softball, I'm sure it's happening. and I'm spacing it, but there's not too many I can think of. Well, I... I know that Ron, Ron Colley's had success, and I want to say that maybe they might have made the state final the same year. But I also think that maybe at one time, maybe like softball was three and baseball was four, something along those lines.
1: Well, I was going to guess it was probably going to be a smaller school. I was going to guess maybe Lafayette Central Catholic, which you – know, They have never they have never replicated
3: their, their success in baseball and softball. Okay. They've had some good teams, but they've, they've never been – like the, the dominant softball programs have kind of been Lutheran, Tecumseh, Adams Central. Probably Tecumseh has made it the same year would be my guess, and maybe even did so – last year, potentially. So, Tecumseh's probably the best answer to that question.
1: Yeah. How stacked is, is C.G.? And, obviously, I brought up um, Evan Zapp, who's A.J.'s son. A.J. Zapp, by the way, I think in 96 – was a first round selection number twenty seven overall by the Atlanta Braves, and he has been coaching his son. And obviously, Center Grove has a, a hell of a baseball program down there. How how talented have they been above everybody else in your estimation this season up until this point?
3: You know, again, they have been good, but like I said, baseball is such a different animal in in two things. You know, one, the Indianapolis dominance that carries over in a lot of other sports football one, basketball two, doesn't seem to apply as much when it gets to baseball and softball. And I think a large part of that is because if you are gifted with one or two good pitchers, that can so, you know, carry the day to where, again, maybe the difference in school size slash athleticism of the Indianapolis area and metropolitan schools it just doesn't translate the same way in baseball. So, again, Center Grove has been the best team, but baseball's a different animal, where, where even when you're the best team, there's always going to be a handful of games during the course of you know, a, a 30-game high school season where somebody can hang with you, where you're throwing your three, they're throwing their number one, and, and maybe they get you on that day. Now, obviously, it's going to be ace versus ace coming up this weekend, but even though I'd say Center is the favorite, Penn certainly has a shot to
1: beat him. So, Greg Raikstra the Eddie Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, what have you made of uh, the Indiana All-Star efforts to this point?
2: Well,
3: I mean, you know, obviously, we're, we're now in the past tense now. Um, and I, I thought Kentucky's boys' team was, frankly, as athletic as they had been in some time. But that was without Mr. Basketball. Reed Shepard did not play. Um, and it wasn't like, and he's going to go to Kentucky. Obviously, that's Jeff Shepherd's son that played for them back in the late 90s. But they had more kids that were going to at a Division One level this year than they had a year ago. It wasn't you know huge name schools, Miami of Ohio, East Tennessee State, Morehead State, places like that. But again, their overall talent level was significantly better. And so the fact that Indiana split with them was a little disappointing. But I thought on the boys' side, the story of the game, both games were just a great start. Kentucky got out to a fourteen nothing and twenty two three lead. Indiana amazingly took the lead with like three minutes left after trailing the entire game in Owensboro. Just couldn't then hang on to that lead, and Kentucky ends up winning. Up here, Indiana races out to a big lead. Kentucky again got close, uh, but, but, but couldn't, you know, eventually get over the hump or eventually put that game away. So, you know, on the boys' side, it was kind of more of a, uh, more of a split year. You know, the, the dominance wasn't as substantial as it has been in years gone by. And on the girls' side, frankly, it's largely been an evenly played game for the last several years. So the fact that it was a split did not come as a surprise. Where's the
1: annual standing as of right now? Once you know everything is complete right now, and, and as far as the, the matchup with the boys and the girls' annual is concerned, where, where is it right now?
3: Indiana has a dominant lead in the boys. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. The girls' side, I want to say Indiana Indiana has a lead, but it is much more competitive overall in terms of uh, what the boys is. The boys has been so lopsided now for the last 25 years. I mean, if Kentucky had won here, it would have been the first sweep in the series for them since 1996. You know, they basically have won three times since 2004. So it, it's, it's been all Indiana but it's completely made that one lopsided on the boys' side.
1: Yes, Greg Rakeswell with us. You also know Greg is, much like me, a Reds fan, and I have been uh... – allowing Reds fans to soak up the excitement and the fun and the fact that they're two-and-a-half games back in the Central, although two games under 500 to this point, and I know that it's June and nothing really matters right now, and it's a small sample size, but would you agree with me? you got to soak up as a Reds fan whatever you can, and now is a time.
3: Well, uh, when I was on the air yesterday, I said, you know what, the Midwest gets made over for flyover country. But if you're a baseball fan, you are thankful of your geographic location right now because there's no great teams in either the Central Divisions in the American League or National League. And so, yeah, the the Reds are very much a work in progress. And, yes, we think the best is, is still a year or two down the road for this team. But if you get to the middle of June and whatever your division is, you're only a couple of games back, and that's a pretty good deal. And, and if you have been as bad and as Unimportant as and uninteresting as the Reds have been, my God, go for it! And so, absolutely, I'm over the moon about the position the Reds are in right now. Yeah,
1: and I also recognize that they've been getting a, a couple of close wins against the worst team in Major League Baseball right now. But none right. of that matters to me. None of it. Right.
3: Just, just just is it a W or not? And if it is, great. Let's 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 enjoy it while we can.
1: All right. What else is happening with you besides the Friday night endeavors? So I've I've got two baseball games
3: on Friday night, I got two Indy eleven women's games on Thursday and Sunday, and then I've got Indy Eleven on the road against the Birmingham Legion coming up on Saturday night. And then next week, John, I think it's the only week that is like this for me the entire year. I have zero play-by-play events next week are you no. going anywhere or staying home uh i am we are taking just a small family trip for the weekend because my wonderful mother turns 80 well done. on monday and so we are taking a family getaway down to uh down to gatlinburg doing the chalet the castle thing down there and yep. uh I'm going to see aunts and uncles I haven't seen in a long time, and, and looking forward to kicking back for a little bit.
1: Oh yeah, I've done that once upon a time as well. Well, you guys enjoy that. I'm actually taking, I think, Monday and Tuesday off, so uh, a little bit of a little bit of time as well. But uh, certainly don't work really? nearly as as much as as you do. But a job well done. We'll be uh, of course uh, checking it out. And uh, if you want to slide by on Friday, I'm at Victory Field from three until six, so you're more than welcome.
3: Well, I, I am I am already uh, starting to, like, mark my calendar down because normally you have me on on, on Tuesdays. Obviously, I was on the air yesterday yep. keeping the seat warm for you, so you didn't have me on the show yesterday. So knowing that, you know, July 11th at back nine, that is a Tuesday – I figured an in-person pop-in might be the thing to do for your golf. Hunting, no you doubt.
1: Go there is no doubt. I, I'm hoping <laughs> – you know, I was kind of thinking, i, I got to have some music going, so I don't know if that's something where I can bring my stuff out and do it myself uh, with everybody, or I need to have a DJ or a band or something like that needs to be out there as well. So i got to talk to the folks here, but we're going to make it fun.
3: I'm sure they will happily take whatever you have to offer, <laughs> and yes – I'll be rolling in Friday about 4 to get my TV makeup on for 5.30, so I am happy to do a pop-in at some point in time during the 4 o'clock hour on Friday. Slide by, Greg. I appreciate it. See you, pal.